Hey there, folks. Big Daddy here wanted to take a chance and thank our sponsor, Raleigh Soapery. Raleigh Soapery craft artisan small batch beer soaps that use the finest in North Carolina craft beers and natural ingredients, making badass soap for badass people. You won't smell like beer after using these handcrafted soaps, but you will smell amazing. Raleigh Soapery's beer soaps come in mouthwatering scents like Coffee Regular with cream and two sugars, Blackberry Sage, Bourbon Barrel, or Double Butter Beer. Raleigh Soapery also has what I think is every cook's favorite soap, salt-scented soap. It's an exfoliating sea salt beer soap bar rolled out with peppermint essential oils for a crispy freshness. Man, that's something that should be on a menu. Now, the team at Raleigh Soapery is offering all of our listeners a 10% discount code to use at checkout at RaleighSoapery.com. Just go online now and find out what scents are in season, order a few bars, and apply the code hashtag ear to table at checkout. That's hashtag ear to table all one word, at checkout to save 10% on your order. These vegan soaps are phthalate and paraben and cruelty-free. With Raleigh Soapery, the inspiration for any kitchen creation can start in the bathroom. Order up! Hello and welcome to the From Ear to Table podcast. I am your host, Big Daddy Jimmy V., This is a show where a guy who has no history in food business decides to jump into cooking. I was inspired by Kevin Smith, and I decided to start this podcast out of a recently found love of cooking. I have no culinary experience whatsoever. I'm just a guy that enjoys food and learning new things. Now, the show is broken down into four courses, much like a fine restaurant meal might be. Uh, We have the amuse-bouche, then the soup the main course, and the dessert. Um, But before we jump into the show and our our guest makes his way to the table, I did want to take the time to shout out a friend of the show, Anova Suvi, Anova purveyors of fine uh, Suvi wands uh, that will just uh, allow you to take some of the uh, well-known skills of fine upscale restaurants and bring them into the kitchen with immersion circulation cooking, uh, producing... Steaks that are to die for. Absolutely just amazing. As well as our show sponsor, Raleigh Soapery. Uh, Raleigh Soapery at Raleigh Soapery on Twitter. Um, they make handcrafted soap that is made from handcrafted beer from North Carolina. It's amazing. I mean, we had the peach and, I mean, it, it's so good. So good. So Raleigh Soapery, Anova Suvi, uh, one will make you smell swell, the other will make you eat well. Oh, it looks like our guest is about to make his way to the table. Uh, excuse me, you got room here for one more? Why, absolutely. Storm Raven, please join us here at the From Ear to Table podcast. Absolutely. So welcome, Storm Raven. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. No worries. Now, now, Uncle Stormy, I understand you live off the grid, literally. Not totally off the grid. I've got electricity, but right now we're on wireless internet. Um, I'm in an agricultural area. I have one neighbor. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so if something were to happen to you, somebody out there might actually know about it. He'd be the only one, though, yeah. I've, okay. I've, I've got a 2,000-acre nature preserve on two sides of me, so it's pretty quiet. Nice, nice. Now, Storm Riven, uh, living out there, what? Uh, tell us about yourself. What do you What do you do for uh, for fun? Uh, well, I'm I'm your ruggedly handsome, outdoorsy kind of guy. So okay. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of fishing opportunities around here. I get to hunt right in the backyard, mm-hmm. and uh, there's always chores to do. Nature never sleeps, so you got to beat the woods back from overtaking the house. Oh, there, there you go. That's true. But uh, other than that, it you got to take the good with the bad. By living in a nice rural area, there's not a lot of work out here. So mm-hmm. when you've got a job, you're looking at a one-hour commute. So mm-hmm. you, you gotta, you gotta 
plan your time carefully to save the weekends and keep the weekends free because otherwise you're booked for 10 hours or more every single day if you're going to make the house payment you know what i mean yeah yeah no that that absolutely makes sense absolutely so uh tell us now um have you been on other podcasts on the interwebs um i might have popped on one or two um (laughs) our uh our friend Scott Holden, of course, busted uh, yes. my uh, busted my podcast cherry on the That Man on Fat Man podcast. Excellent. And uh, our good friends, the Mr. BS Show, were kind enough to not only have me on, but have me on twice because Ooh. they're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> I think that's the extent of my uh, of my claim to fame right. so far. No worries. Well, both great shows, uh, good company to be in. Now, all good guys, absolutely. Now, being that you are out there, you know, uh, uh, far away from anybody, I take it you you do you're not going out to eat as much as maybe cooking at home. Frequently cooking at home, like I said, you save the going out um, for the weekends because you right. can't just. I'm. I'm probably an hour from nice restaurants in either direction, okay. southern PA or or northern uh, Baltimore borderline. So, got yeah, it. it's a you got to plan it. I like to hit Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I okay. guess it's actually pronounced Lancaster. You kind of pronounce it like Thurston Howell. Uh, <laughs> it's a proper pronunciation, but it's a nice little artsy town with a art college in it and a little community theater and a lot of little hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Nothing really. Nothing really over-the-top fancy, but, it, you know, little sandwich shops that really know how to make a panini or something like that. So, uh, out there amongst a lot of the uh, Amish and the Mennonite communities? Uh, just south of them. Just south, okay. Yeah, you get to the other side of, of the northern half of Lancaster, that's when you run into Pennsylvania Dutch Company. Gotcha. <laughs> any any remnants of East India Trading Company going on over there, too? <laughs> no, no, none of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So let me ask you these. Uh, we got some uh, five questions we like to ask our guests when they come on the From Ear to Table podcast, uh, and these are just uh, culinary questions. So, uh, being out there uh, with your one neighbor, what is uh, your favorite spice to use? I'm a big fan and proponent of fresh cracked black pepper. Fresh cracked, nice, excellent. And do you have a favorite condiment? Uh, jeez, I tend to throw your your standard Louisiana hot sauce in a lot of things, probably more than I should, so I'll go with that, something like Frank's Red Hot. Oh, okay, hot sauce, nice. Uh, and uh, even though you are uh, an hour away from civilization, uh, do you have a uh, all-time favorite restaurant that you've, you've dined at? Um, I can give a shout-out back to when I lived in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um I know the place is still there. It's called Camp Ticonderoga in Troy, Michigan. And uh, they are a country club. They have a big golf course. But out in front, they have what looks like a giant hunting lodge. Mm -hmm. And it's all decked out as a hunting lodge with antler lamps and all that stuff. And wild game is on the menu. And you can get a variety platter. Well, they'll make you uh, rabbit ravioli and... uh, Salmon and perch and moose and venison and duck and as much as they can they source locally from uh, from the Great Lakes and uh, the Canadian side as well. So you can get a, a variety of wild game dishes there. And when I lived in the city of Michigan, I didn't get to spend as much time outdoors. That's why I I bought this place and escaped into the woods because yeah. I couldn't I couldn't spend that time when I was living in the city. Right. So. It was a nice place. Camp Ticonderoga was a nice place for me to go and say, hey, this is this is how I would live if I could. Right. Um, oh, well, there you go. Very cool. Uh, now, um, do you have a, a, a go-to as a favorite food? Like, what is your all-time favorite food? Overloaded nachos. Oh. So, you know, like... nachos with too much ground beef and chopped up green onions and black <laughs> olives and Sour cream and guacamole and stuff. Oh, yeah. just, just keep piling it on there until you can't see the chips anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And what about a least favorite food? Like never, ever, ever, ever kind of thing. Um. Well, we're going to talk about offal. I've never eaten brains, and I 
I would shy away from them because of mad cow disease in its various forms. So. Oh, okay, interesting. Well, we'll get to brains uh, for sure, but uh, definitely a, a, a good, interesting uh, list. But brains, it's it's interesting. My wife, she is uh, has an aversion to tongue, uh, very similar to your aversion to brains, and she's actually tried it and said, this is damn good, but it's still tongue. So. <laughs> I right. give her credit. I give her credit for putting her fear aside and diving in there. She has my respect. Well, yeah, we were at a we were at a nice uh, little Mamacita restaurant, and they had it on the menu, and I had to order it. So I, I got her. order up. Uh, yeah, we uh, we start the show uh, here from ear to table like a fine meal with an amuse-bouche, a small appetizer meant to tempt your taste buds as we talk about this episode's theme. We also like to recognize you, the listeners, so send us your recipes, ideas, love letters, or hate mail. Uh, find us at fromeartotable at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at fromeartotable and on Facebook uh, also as fromeartotable. Now, you, you heard Storm Raven mention it, uh, but the theme for this episode is... Awful love of all that is holy. What did I just eat? Awful. Awful <laughs> refers to internal organs or entrails of a butchered animal. Uh, the word does not refer to any particular list of edible organs, which vary by culture and region depending on the animals in that culture and region that are eaten. Uh, but they do include most internal organs, excluding muscle or bone. Uh, now, the word offal uh, is Germanic in, in base um, and literally means garbage or off-fall, referring to the uh, stuff that fell to the floor during a regular butchering process. Uh, that was the discarded meat, um, not usually kept. Um, now, depending on the context, offal may refer to the parts of an animal discarded after butchering but it may also refer to the byproducts of milled grains such as corn or wheat so the byproduct uh, uh, is often referred to as that we we don't re- usually refer to offal uh, when referring to the byproduct uh, of a process or rendering plant uh, that renders or processes animals because that um, discarded refuse is usually processed into fertilizer or fuel uh, and can sometimes can be commercially turned into pet food as well. So we don't refer to offal so much as that as we do with the results of, of butchering, skinning, uh, and the in the offshoots of grains. So um, in earlier times, interestingly enough, the mob used to throw offal and other rubbish at condemned criminals as a show of public disapproval. I think it's high time we bring back that process. <laughs> I would love to go to a Donald Trump rally and just hurl chicken livers at him. You know? I mean, I, I think that would there would be something cathartic in that. But it's a waste of perfectly good catfish bait. I know, right? So there you have it. But uh, you've never thrown animal innards at someone as a show of your disapproval, have you? (laughs) Nor my love. No, I have not. (laughs) Okay. Again, uh, 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 maybe not chicken litter brewers. Maybe we can go with uh, uh, some good tripe uh, and, and, and distribute tripe at the next Justin Bieber concert. There you go. I'm down with that. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Now, um, with you with you living off the grid, you mentioned going fishing um, and hunting and, and doing those kind of things. Um, do you usually cook any of the offal that you get from hunting and fishing? I personally eat the liver, mm-hmm. um, but I also save the heart. Now, there's there's... I've eaten the heart before of a of a deer, but to me it's too pungent. It's too gamey of a flavor. Okay. I just don't personally like it. Um, but I do salvage the heart, the kidneys, which are very small. They're only about the size of a walnut, uh-huh. uh, and the tongue. And along with that and any little bits of meat that I whittle off the bone, I grind all up, and that becomes dog food mixed with rice or oatmeal. So try not to waste any more of the animal than I have to. Gotcha, gotcha. Excellent. Well, that's... 
that's certainly uh, part of what the whole concept of eating offal is about, is about making sure that you, uh, you are utilizing the entire animal or as much as the animal as possible. Now, um, I understand, Stormy, you have a, a recipe to share with us uh, regarding sweetbreads. I do, and uh, sweetbreads mm-hmm. may be a little sweet, but they are definitely not bread. Right. They, uh, they are the thymus gland, usually of lambs or uh, veal. Okay. So, uh, the recipe I've got uses about one pound of them. Okay. Um, and it's served. Uh, awful starting to make a bit of a comeback because of the paleo movement. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I made this, I served it over a cauliflower puree. Uh, to keep it paleo and keep it low carb, but it can be served over brown rice. Um, and it's with spring greens and an apple pear reduction sauce. Mm, very uh, nice. So basically when you get sweetbreads, the first thing you have to do is you have to prep them. If you've ever canned tomatoes, it's a similar process. Uh, they have a membrane on them and a little bit of fat. Mm-hmm. So you need to boil some water and get another bowl of ice drop them in the water for a few seconds, fish them out, throw them in the ice water, and then remove that membrane, and they'll be ready to to cook with. Okay. Um, Then what you want to do is, uh, let me get you your ingredients here. I'm sorry. Perfect. You want to start with the apple pear reduction. It takes longer. One apple, I used a Granny Smith apple. Okay. And two golden pears. Those can both be peeled, cored, and diced up. One cup of apple cider, and you can use whatever type of cider you want. Um, You want to class it up, you can use white wine. And just a dash of cinnamon and nutmeg. Yep. You you get all that into a pot, bring it to a boil, then reduce it, and you're basically just going to cook it down to mush. Yeah. Smash it up with a, you can smash it up with a fork or potato masher. If you've got an immersion blender, but get it kind of smooth and creamy. Mm-hmm. Then the trick is to just reduce the heat and let it boil down, uh, not really boil down, but simmer down. Get the get the fluid out of it so that it's sticky. It'll stick to the back of a spoon. Ooh, there you go. That while that's good. while that's happening, mm-hmm. then you take your sweetbreads, yeah, and pretty much just make like chicken nuggets out of them. You slice them to a bite size or a half a bite size. Mm-hmm. Dredge them in flour. I like to use a combination of olive oil and butter, saltless butter. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to fry them maybe three minutes on the side until they're golden brown. When that's done, whatever you're going to serve them on, you'll whether it's brown rice or it's it's cauliflower uh, puree, mm-hmm. you'll want to use that as your as your base, like a foundation. The last part of it is to get some spring greens. If you buy salad in a bag, I know they make a spring green mm-hmm. mix. It's usually green leaf lettuce, red leaf lettuce, some radicchio, uh, mescaline. Mm-hmm. Um, just about a half a teaspoon, maybe a full teaspoon of vinaigrette. Take your, take your greens. I like to put them in a Tupperware bowl. This is how I do it. Put them in a Tupperware bowl, splash your vinaigrette on it, throw in eighth of a teaspoon, half a teaspoon of fresh cracked black pepper. Ah, there you go. Then put the lid on it and just shake it up. Yep. That'll get your your vinegar and your pepper evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. Toss it around, you're good to go. Then you get your plate, whatever your foundation is going to be, whether it's brown rice or if it's that cauliflower puree, then you put a handful of your greens on top of it. You put your uh, sweetbreads on that, Mm -hmm. and then gently drizzle your, uh, your... Apple pear reduction over the top. Try not to drown it. Um, I'm going to send you this recipe, James, so you can put it on the website because I'm not real good at explaining. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You send me that. That's great. I, I, and, I love it, Stormy. And um, I'll have the actual the quantities of apple cider and everything that you need on it. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put that up on Twitter so everybody can look uh, look for that. Uh, it'll be very easy to find out. Now, now, let me ask you, Stormy, where did you, where did this recipe come from? Uh, my ex-girlfriend actually 
put this together. Oh, okay. Now, do you, uh, I've heard sometimes that people will uh, soak the sweetbreads in, in milk uh, for 24 hours before uh, cutting them and cooking them just to kind of remove some of the tinniness. Is that something you've done as well? I've never done that. I've heard of people doing that with liver as well. Mm, okay. um, and I've, I've never really noticed the difference. Okay. Okay, now I understand as well that uh, you have a, a book of recipes uh, similar to the <laughs> sweetbreads that uh, that you might might care to share with our listeners. Tell us a little bit about this book. You want me to, you, <laughs> you calling me out on Grandma's cookbook? Oh, I yeah, I'm calling I, you out. <laughs> I got it, I got it. Hang on, I'll go get it. It's uh, right over here. Excellent. Stormy's going to grab... Uh, what I believe is uh, is an unfound treasure in the uh, today's culinary uh, literature world, uh, an unpublished uh, backwoods grandmother cookbook. A lot this of grandmother actually, cookbooks out there, but this one is is unique. I think uh, a little more than others. This actually was published. This is a Canadian wild game cookbook. Oh. From uh, 1965, and that's that's the name of it, Canadian Wild Game Cookbook. It cost a whopping two dollars and fifty cents back then. <laughs> uh, but this was my grandmother's only cookbook, and some of the delicious recipes in here are uh, Grandma's jellied moose nose. Oh, jellied! I didn't remember if it was jellied moose knuckle or jellied moose nose, but you are correct. Jellied moose nose, yes. <laughs> jellied moose nose. We've got recipes for links because oh. I don't know what goes better with fries than links. <laughs> Whale steak. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Seal flippers. Don't waste the flippers if you get a seal. Well. Uh, eel carp. Uh, and then your standard raccoon, porcupine, and groundhog and beaver. Well, yeah, this sounds like not just Canadian, but way up northern Canadian kind of way when you're getting into things like whale and, and seal and things like that, which, you know, there are some uh, uh, Alaskan uh, tribes um, that do still practice seal. I know uh, some, some tribes in Greenland as well. Um, and it's it's controlled through the government, so um, don't uh, don't don't boycott the show or, or think we're out there <laughs> promoting seal killing. It's just part of nature, people. Different parts of the world eat different parts of shit, right? It just happens. Well, so there you have it. Don't uh, waste the flippers. <laughs> don't waste the flippers. The uh, an incredible piece of literature in today's culinary world. I think uh, uh, we should look at republishing that maybe and, and distributing it out. We can. I've, I've sent books. you a couple of pictures on Twitter for some of the recipes that are in here. Maybe I could continue that as we go on. I, th- I think that uh, I think that would be great, and I'll uh, I'll make sure to share those with all of our listeners. <laughs> all right, you got yourself a deal, sir. Awesome. awesome. Order up. All right. So our next course is the soup, uh, and this is where we like to look at a restaurant uh, that kind of fits our theme. Um, but before we dive into a restaurant here that serves the offal, I thought it would be a good idea to look at what offal is uh, and how it is used throughout the world. Um, you know, we, you've heard Stormy and I talk about sweetbreads, which are the thymus gland, uh, as, as Stormy mentioned. Uh, there are other parts of, of the animal in beef and veal. Uh, typically, you'll see tail, uh, tongue. Tongue root, the kidney, the heart, the liver, uh, and then tripe. Um, in sheep, you have they'll use the the liver, the kidneys, the heart, and they'll also use the tripe uh, from from sheep as well. And then pork, pork is pretty much from snout to tail. They use the whole animal, everything, the Every, fat, everything but the oink, right? Yeah. Well, no, even the oink is used. Uh, this pig snout is is typically used. Um, the uterus, the ears, the feet, which are called trotters, uh, the kidneys, the heart, the intestines, the tongue, the stomach, either raw or cooked. Even the pig fat itself is used and rendered down. Um, uh, but, yeah, they'll use the entire thing. Uh, and you've heard us mention tripe. Uh, and a lot of people, oh, you have beef tripe, you have honeycomb tripe, you have sheep tripe. What is tripe? Tripe is the lining of the stomach. 
in cattle or other, or other uh, ruminants like sheep or pork uh, that are used as food. Now, um, interestingly, there are certain pieces of meat. Uh, Stormy mentioned the sweetbreads have a membrane on the outside that you want to just quickly blanch the sweetbreads, shock them with the cold water, uh, and allow you to remove that membrane. Uh, other parts of the animal, you have to cook the piece of, of uh, opal entirely and then remove uh, things like the tripe. So you'll cook the stomach and then remove the tripe. It'll be easier to remove that lining once it's cooked. Same thing with tongue. If you cook uh, beef or uh, uh, any kind of tongue, you can cook the tongue and the there there is a, a separation between the membrane that contains the taste buds or on a cow the little hairs on the tongue that you know uh, allow it to pick up grass and things like that those are separate from the muscle itself and when you cook tongue when you cook a, a, a piece of um, opal like that when you're cooking the tongue you're cooking the the muscle and you discard that external membrane but you have to cook the entire thing all uh, and then remove the uh, the membrane of the tongue then you're able to deal with the meat section itself, uh, which is very good. Now, I mentioned in different parts of the world, they eat different animals and they eat different parts of the animals. Uh, throughout the world, offal is treated differently, uh, but a lot of um, food that you may or may not have heard of, uh, similar in today's world, is considered offal in the British Isles. Um, in medieval times, humble pie oh. uh, was made from animal innards, uh, and it was originally called humble pie, uh, but it was peasant food, and it was uh, the source of the idiom, the common idiom, eating humble pie. Um, kind of like, you know, don't forget where you came from eating humble pie, don't forget your roots, uh, you know that whole thing started because humble pie was you know the 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 innards um peasant and peasant food right? yeah it was the peasant food the kings and the you know the royalty got the choice cuts of meat the peasants didn't get the choice cuts of meat so they had to make do with the rest of the animal and they would make this humble pie back in medieval times uh the traditional scottish haggis which is uh sheep's stomach stuffed with a mix of liver, heart, lungs, rolled oats, and other ingredients. Um, in today, even still, over in the British Isles, you can buy steak and kidney pie in the supermarket. Like we have chicken pot pie, they yeah. would have a steak and kidney pie. Um, and uh, also real big in Britain and Ireland and, and other parts of the world, liver, uh, which is considered offal, um, being served with onions and a rich brown sauce. Um, Brawn is actually the British term for head cheese, um, and uh, they make their head cheese with uh, the skull of the pig. Um, yep, it's as good as it sounds, right? Yeah, <laughs> other places, yeah, head cheese is, is one of those things. It is, uh, it's a collection of meat and tissues found on the animal's skull that is cooked, chilled, and set in gelatin. So, <clears throat> it's cooked meat. It's not raw meat that they put in the head cheese um, but what makes it weird is is it's it's meat and gelatin that in yeah. and of itself is weird and the only thing we have that is meat and gelatin is spam Meaning and <laughs> when i was a kid when i was a kid you could go to the the lunch meat department uh-huh and get Oscar Mayer head cheese sliced. It was like a lunch meat. I, and some of the places they still have it, although I, I don't think here we don't call it head cheese. Um, I think you've seen, you, you, but you see them in the delis. It's it's that big piece of bologna-looking stuff that is made up of a bunch of different types of meat. <laughs> You know, it looks like a mosaic. Yeah, it looks like a mosaic that you would see. Oh, look at that mosaic. That's a nice. That's a very you know fancy piece of meat looking thing there. Uh, <laughs> but it's head cheese. Uh, but meat in gelatin, as as far as I'm concerned, is spam, um, and it's just weird. Uh, but they also do in the British Isles and Ireland. They do black pudding, which is congealed pig blood with oatmeal made into sausage-like links. 
using the pig intestine as casing. Uh, boiled and then fried, and actually really good. We had uh, some black pudding uh, a couple weeks ago that was uh, just amazing. Uh, so you can't, it's, if you're out there, try it. It's, it's, you know, it's, you're going to think, oh, it's pickled. But if it's made properly, you're not going to taste the iron, um, that you may associate with the taste of blood. Uh, you're not going to have that minerally kind of flavor. They're going to mask it. Uh, in Norway, um, they have smalahov. Uh, smalahov is made from the sheep's head. Um, the skin and the fleece of the head is torched and the brain is removed and the head is salted, sometimes smoked and dried. Um, but it's boiled for about three hours and served with um, mashed uh, rutabag, which are Swede, uh, Swedish potatoes. Um, the ears and the eye, only half of the head is, is served, are normally eaten first. Um hmm which I guess is there because of the fattiness on them. The head is often eaten from the front to the back. Working well, of around course the, it is. Working around the bones, you know, so when you're doing that with the sheep's head. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's one of the things that they have. Um, they they do, uh, they have their, in, in Iceland, they have an Icelandic version of haggis that's called schlatter, like slaughter. <laughs> so they just, they're not even hiding it. Uh, <laughs> when they put it together, so um, Finland has its own version of black pudding, uh, which is a, a black sausage. Uh, they also do a liver sausage, um, and, and various other forms uh, of, uh, of liver pâtés or liver patties. Um, throughout Western Europe, everything—I mean, you know—France gave us foie gras, which yep. is goose liver pâté. Germany, known for their head cheese, liverwurst, uh, lung stew. They also do blood tongue. In southern Europe and Italy, basically they do everything. The brains, internal organs, the entrails, uh, including the full head. Spain uh, and Greece, visceral organs, um, the liver, the spleen, the heart, the intestines. Uh, pig ears in Spain are very popular. Uh, crispy pig ears with, like, lime and cilantro. It's very good. Really? Oh, yeah. Crispy, you just get a nice crispy pig ear. It's it's like an onion ring, but crispy uh, and not chewy. Um, it's just it's really good. All around the world, people eat offal everywhere. Eastern Europe, South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, all over Asia, the Mideast, Northern Africa, and yes, even here in North America. Here, I mean, every every Thanksgiving, you're probably eating offal because of the giblets um, that are being used to make gravy. You know, uh, turkey giblets. Um, being used uh the liver and onions that we like to eat which if you go to any classic diner in america if they list a blue plate special that is liver and onions the blue plate special is often the the liver and onions at classic diners throughout the country um mammal offal is very popular in the american south uh chitterlings liver brain hog maw scrapple um, which is sometimes made from pork offal, uh, is popular in the mid-Atlantic U.S., uh, Philadelphia, and the Amish communities. Uh, pepper pot soup is made from beef tripe. Have you had pepper pot soup there in, in Pennsylvania? I have not, but you do see it on all the menus. Uh-huh, and that's beef tripe. Um, you have fried brain sandwiches are a specialty in the Ohio River Valley. Rocky Mountain oysters, you know, prairie oysters or turkey fries, which are beef testicles, it's the bull balls, um, are very popular in cattle raising states in the U.S. and Western Canada. Hey, so, would uh, would pork rinds be considered awful? Uh, you know what, it, it, that's just the pig skin, correct? I think, or the dermis layer or something like yeah, that. It's, it's something the, they'd throw away, though, right? It would be, yeah, absolutely. Pork rind would be considered, if pork fat is considered offal from from the pig um which is used in you know cooking uh, and stuff like that certainly pork rinds you're eating pig skin you know it's just they've they've done it 
in a in a Americanized, clean, you can't tell this is pigskin kind of way. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but I've been to this restaurant we go to out here called La Maria, which is an Argentinian restaurant, and they serve the, the la lingua, the beef tongue. Um, uh, but they also serve um, the um, crispy crispy pig skin it, but it's Argentinian style crispy pig skin it is literally the skin and about a half inch layer of fat off of the pig that is run into about a 10 inch strip that's about half inch wide and the whole thing is deep fried um, so you get and then they score it in about five sections so you get these five glorious little nugget uh, <laughs> candy bites of deep fried pig fat uh, with crispy sometimes a little hairy still pig skin and it's just absolutely phenomenal <laughs> it is some good stuff but yes yeah, so yeah we eat it here all the time um ironically given its province and history oval as uh Stormy mentioned it's starting to make a comeback, uh, not just uh, in in um, in regular cuisine, but also in Hoyt cuisine. Stylish restaurants offering roasted bone marrow, fried pork rind, tongue, or heart as part of the menu. Additionally, small but growing communities following particular diets, like you mentioned, the paleo diet, uh, n- nourishing traditions by Sally uh, Fallon. Um, anything that promotes liver um, because of its nutrient density, those kind of diets um, are are benefiting from are, that's are benefiting the oval cause as well. Uh, bone broth is also gaining in popularity. Although my understanding is stormy, they don't let you make bone broth of human bone <laughs> any, anymore. That's just frowned upon, right? No hip bone soup. My surgeon does not let me do that. No. Okay. Uh, but there may be surgeons out there, so consult a doctor first. But bone broth is is gaining in popularity um, because uh, it's it's allowed to uh, have a little salt but a lot of flavor. Um, there are health and safety issues to be concerned with when you are dealing with oval. Um, Oval of certain animals is unsafe to consume. The internal organs of the fugu pufferfish are highly toxic, as known as shown to us in the Simpsons episode. Absolutely right. <laughs> in Japan, fugu can only be prepared by trained master chefs, uh, working under extremely strict regulations, sanitary conditions, and licensing. Even a residual portion of fugu, fugu toxin can be fatal. So the fugu pufferfish is is a real fish, and it will it will mess you up. <laughs> the liver of polar bear is unsafe to eat because it has a very high amount of vitamin A, um, oh. and can cause uh, hypervitaminosis A, a very dangerous disorder. Uh, and it's been recognized since uh, 1597 when Garrett Dever wrote in his diary after taking uh, refuge in the winter. In Nova Zelma, uh, he and his men became gravely ill after eating polar bear liver. Seal liver is similarly toxic, as is dog liver. Um, so uh, my hope is if you're out there eating dog, eat the liver. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, some animal intestines are very high in coliform bacteria and need to be washed or cooked thoroughly and safely before eating. If you're not uh, familiar with which of those animal intestines those are, but you're willing to eat animal intestine anyways, find out. Uh, nervous system tissues can be contaminated with TSE prions, which cause bovine spongiform encephalopathy, BSE, or mad cow disease. In some jurisdictions, these ovals are classified as specific risk of materials and are subject to special regulations. Depends on the area. Uh, where those nervous system tissues uh, can be. Um, if you are concerned, like uh, Stormy said, eating brain, but you are in the Ohio River Valley, um, the folks there know what they're doing. Um, trust in those folks. 
let them do their jobs. If, if there hasn't been any issues before, there are not going to be any issues now just because you know about it. Uh, hindsight being 2020, what it is, a little bit of knowledge goes a long way, but don't let it stop you from doing what you already do. Uh, Opal, very high in purines, can precipitate an acute attack of gout in someone with that condition. So for me, I need to stay away from some of these Opal uh, um, things like the haggis, uh, the, the kidneys, the stomachs, those things that would have high purine levels, liver, uh, and because I am susceptible to gout, I don't want to get it. It sucks. Trust me. <laughs> Certain types of opal, including kidneys, stomach, intestines, heart, tongue, and liver, can be very high in cholesterol and saturated fats. So if you have, are to avoid those kinds of foods, avoid those kinds of foods. And the practice of feeding raw opal to dogs on farms and ranches can spread echinococcosis, a potentially fatal parasitic disease in animals, including humans. So... With you mentioned, you serve a little bit of offal, but you grind it up, you cook it, uh, you uh, process it, and stuff, right? Right. I cook it all up with rice or with oatmeal. I don't feed my dogs too much raw stuff. I don't want them getting in the habit. Right. right. Otherwise, then we'd never hear from you again. <laughs> That's a possibility. Right? <laughs> so this brings us to the restaurant portion of this segment and um, an experience in offal. Uh, my first experience with it was was at a restaurant here in LA called Animal. Uh, Animal is um, is a concept restaurant that serves Oful. Uh, they Sounds do, sexy. Yeah, it is. It's the the first thing we started with was a chicken liver pate uh, on crostini, right? Um, and it was it was absolutely amazing it, it it we we didn't know if we were gonna like it or not because we'd never had chicken liver pate it's not something that we were just like oh yeah we're gonna go get some chicken liver pate uh but we said why not we're here chicken liver toast so we got it and the they, the, the toast from from edge to edge has a nice just thin layer of this chicken liver pate on it but then Right down the center is just this beautiful pearls of blackberry jam. Uh, so just that little bit of sweetness to go with the the little bit of saltiness and herbaceousness that they had mixed in in making this pate. Phenomenal. We ordered like, you know, we had one and we were just like, oh my God, it's so good. We had to have another. <laughs> It was amazing. They had um, they had veal brains. They do a veal brains uh, with an apricot puree. Uh, they do a rabbit larb um, barbecue. What's a what's uh, a larb? A larb. You know that's a good question. Uh, I want to say that is a what is larb? Lar it's a tie. That's what I thought it is. A larb is a. Um, type of uh, Lao meat salad, and it's regarded uh, as a national dish of Laos. Uh, of, uh, is that Cambodia? Yes. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of a, it's made, it's often made with chicken, beef, duck, fish, pork, or mushrooms flavored with fish sauce, lime juice, paddock, uh, ground roasted rice and fresh herbs. Meat can either be raw or cooked. It is it is minced and mixed with chili mint and an assortment of vegetables. So that it's, sounds it's, intriguing. Yeah, it's a minced. You, you mince the meat and then it's mixed with vegetables and different, uh, you know, sauces, lime juice, fish sauce. Um, but it's a, it's Cambodian kind of in base. Um, but they do a rabbit larb, you know, <laughs> uh, barbecued pork belly, um, uh, an oxtail gravy poutine should be fun uh, they do uh, bone marrow um, pig ears with red chili lime um, uh, pig head terrine veal tongue uh, pickle salmon roe black mustard um, and then they do uh, some some of the fish um, offal would be like yellowtail collar 
the collar of the fish is from the gills to the nose. Uh, so a lot of people don't eat fish heads, um, but they'll do the fish head. And there's a lot of uh, interesting muscles and meat around a fish head that uh, a lot of people enjoy. Um, they do foie gras. They do a foie gras loco moco, uh, fusing French foie gras with Hawaiian um, loco moco, you know, brown gravy rice. Uh, but instead of... Um, using hamburger they would use spam and instead of using a, a regular chicken egg they'll use a quail egg uh, so a lot of fun interesting different different kinds of, of food but all in the offal category uh, and, and the animal as a restaurant here created by John Schock and Vinny Tolo both of whom just won best West, Best Chef West 2016 for the James Beard Awards. Um, oh. It's just, they're so good. It turned me on to uh, that there were foods out there that sounded like I wouldn't enjoy them based on a cultural upbringing, that, but that really ended up tasting awesome. You know, That's really, that's really a lot of the roadblock to mm-hmm. most foodstuffs, but especially to to the nastier bits, as they're called, is, is as you said, cultural upbringing. Um, people, Hispanic folks, been eating menudo forever, and that's nothing but a bowl of gut soup. Yeah. You know, everybody's grandmother has a menudo recipe, mm-hmm. and, and they serve it to you when you come over. And that's all it is, is getting over the idea that this isn't something I grew up eating, or it, you know, it is right. something. Well, eating. and a lot of, you know, like like we said, the offal is, is the off the throw-off. It's what the peasants got because the rich people kept the good stuff. So a lot of this wonderful food came out of desperation, out of need, out of necessity. Uh, If I don't eat this, I don't eat, you know? And a lot of the foods that are out there that we have aversions to uh, are those types of foods. You know, a a lot of third world countries eat bugs, um, as part of their cuisine. A lot of places in Mexico are using uh, different types of ants in seasoning and flavoring and stuff like that. But eating the offal, eating the bugs, eating the the moose nose jelly, eating <laughs> the whale steaks, eating the seal, eating all of those things comes from a necessity uh, to survive. Um, and it's oftentimes that we... We have an aversion to that type of food because we see it as as lower class. We see it as uh, not something that we need to partake in because we don't need to survive that. I don't have to suffer the indignity of eating bugs, but bugs are good. You know, <laughs> get over yourself, people. Try the bugs. Try the try the you know yellowtail collar. Try the try the pig ear. Try the try the stuff that you normally wouldn't try, because a lot of places are serving it now. A lot of places are bringing it out into the forefront. You have restaurants like Animal that are serving it. So go out and try it. Variety is the spice of life. Someone famous said that, James. I know. I'm not entirely sure who, but it's okay. <laughs> Go out, find some restaurant that you haven't tried before. Find some place that serves something you're you're not uh, familiar with and try it. You know, you you may not like it. You may be right, but you know what? You might be wrong. Order up. Right, so we've had our appetizer and our soup, and now it is time for the main course. Now, with the main course, there you you you've got this book, Stormy. Uh, you know that that is that deals with a lot of uh, awful game uh, or game that you would normally you know it's not a pig, it's not a, a, a deer, it's not a cow. Uh, so what is it? You know, so you, you have different types. There's wild fowl, there's small game, there's large game. Um, there are other game as well. So like when we look at um, recipes in your book about squirrel or porcupine or badger, 
you know, we could also find recipes for grouse, woodcock, turkey, quail, duck, which would be the wild fowl, rabbit, um, the groundhog, the squirrel, um, bear recipes. I'm, I'm surprised there might be a bear recipe in that in that uh, book. Um, uh, moose recipes. We mentioned moose nose jelly, making jelly out of the cartilage of the moose nose. Uh, not something I'm going to try, but, you know, Grandma liked it, so. <laughs> grandma, was re- grandma was renowned for the moose nose. Oh, yeah. Deer. I've, you know, hunted deer. Um, when I was younger, I, I got in a hunt, and we processed the deer and everything, and the venison. Oh, some good, good deer meat. Uh, was had we had made deer sausage uh, we had we, we had a lot of meat for a while <laughs> it was some good stuff uh, other game that's out there uh, other meats that are being popular now and y- you have some land out there stormy you might look at uh, deciding you want to put together an ostrich farm raise <laughs> ostriches ostrich meat ostrich eggs a lot of high-end restaurants out there on the East Coast would probably pay some pretty pennies for some ostrich meat. Um, also big uh, in the East Coast, especially the Southeast, is alligator. You go down to Louisiana, you go down to Florida, alligator meat is on the menu. I've had that, and it's delicious. It is. It's And you know what? I've had it, too. It's It, it's, it tastes like chicken. It's a white meat. It's just more uh, sinewy. It's it's a tougher white meat than chicken is. Yeah, uh, it reminded me more of like a rattlesnake. I, I called it a chewy chicken yeah. uh, when I had it. So yeah, alligator. You can find recipes. I've got I've got a a, a recipe book from uh, Commander's Palace in New Orleans, and one of the things that it calls for is mountain lion. Uh, so you can you I mean there is if 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 the animal's out there and it's not on an endangered list, there's a recipe for it. If you're gonna kill it, all I ask is that you eat it. <laughs> I mean, in, unless it's a nuisance animal, you know that happens sometimes. True, but... true. There there are certain nuisance animals, and you see. Uh, I know again. I, I, I mentioned the South. Um, they have those uh, kind. They're they're water rats, but they're about the size of a cat. Uh, oh, uh, neutrina. Neutrina. There you go. But and people eat it down there. Some people eat neutrina, um, and it's it literally is. It's a rat that looks like a cat that lives in the water on you know near water. <laughs> now, Stormy, uh, with with all this uh, offal and the deer and stuff like that, have you have you uh, had a chance to try and sous vide any of this uh, this game that you get? I have not, but I, I hear you and Andy talk about it all the time, and I'd like to do it with venison steaks because the thing to remember with any wild game mm. is it's very low in fat. Mm-hmm. Wild, wild game works for a living. All day yeah. long, it's either looking for food or running from perceived threats. So mm-hmm. when you get a venison steak, it's not marble. It's a slab of red meat, and you don't have to work very hard to ruin it. Yeah. So I was thinking if you could sous vide that stuff, that would keep the moisture in it, and it would it would take away the problem of having to throw it in a crock pot or grind it up in a burger and mix it with pork fat and ruin the flavor or something like that. Absolutely, and you know what? I think I think you can be a, a key in helping us uh, get some of those times and and temperatures. Now the temperature. Uh, scale that you look at with sous vide, you know, you talk about uh, 134 or 56 degrees uh, being I- optimum medium medium uh, medium rare uh, in meat. So you could probably cook it the same amount of time. The difference being, though, I think with um, with the venison steak being that there's very low fat in it, there's not a lot of um, fat to break down. Um, the connective tissue in venison is probably going to be leaner than you would find in a steak. So while you could cook it for uh, a 24-hour or even a 48-hour uh, like you could do with some steaks, the proteins, I think, are going are gonna to react quicker. Um, and so you're probably going to want, I think... If, maybe four to six hours on venison 
134, and you're going to have, like, just the most ideal uh, piece of sous vide meat that you just want to give a little milliard effect to, two minutes on the grill on either side, just to sear it the outside. And I think you're going to have just an ideal piece of meat. Yeah. We'll get on that. I, I think I think we should get on that. But uh, you've talked me into you it. You can you can absolutely check out uh, sous vide and uh, sous vide recipes and listen to uh, like Starmy says. Uh, me and Andy talk about it. Uh, if you go back to episode three and episode three part two, uh, my com- my dinner with Andy. Uh, where we talk about sous vide and uh, we get into that. And we do all of our sous vide with a friend of the show, the Anova Sous Vide Wand. Uh, you can find them on Twitter, uh, at Anova Sous Vide, and that's A-N-O-V-A-S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E. Um, send them a message. They'll send you a code uh, for discount off of your purchase of an Anova Sous Vide Wand. And if I am correct in my... Uh, news: The Anova SUV One is soon to be carried nationally in Target. Wow! Yeah, they're going to start uh, carrying the Anova One in Target. Um, That's actually even close to me. Yeah, there you go. That way you can uh, you can either pick it up there, um, send them a message online. Like I said, uh, they just had a, a big sale for Father's Day. Uh, they're always selling stuff, but. Uh, yeah, Anova Sous Vide One, they're, they're doing good stuff. And my recipe uh, that I'm going to share uh, in keeping with this is, is a sous vide recipe. Uh, and this is for sous vide la lingua tacos, which are uh, cow tongue or veal tongue. Uh, so with this recipe, you're going to want uh, one cow or veal tongue, about a pound and a half. Um, one tongue is about a pound and a half. Now, if you get this straight from your butcher... They're going to give it to you with the membrane on, so it's going to look like the taste buds are there. It's going to feel very rough on the outside, um, and it's basically going to be unpleasant, but just just go with it. It's okay. You, trust me. You get one cow or veal tongue. Um, you're going to need kosher salt or some, and some freshly ground black peppers. Um, Six stems from cilantro, um, a medium onion split in half, uh, one Roma tomato split in half, uh, two tablespoons of of pig fat um, or canola oil if you don't have the pig fat, uh, four chipotle chilies in adobo sauce plus an additional tablespoon of that adobo sauce, Uh, one lime, 16 to 24 corn tortillas, some chopped onions, some scallions, cilantro, and lime for serving with with the uh, tacos now the tongue you're gonna take it you're gonna look at it you're gonna go ew, and you're gonna sprinkle salt and pepper over it then you're gonna pick up the tongue you're gonna put it in a a plastic bag you're gonna go ew, and you're gonna (laughs) vacuum seal that bag with cilantro onion tomato and the fat you're gonna put all that in that bag when you seal it up turn on your anova sui wand in your water bath to uh, set it to 170 and you're going to cook it you're going to put once it reaches temperature you're going to put the the bag of the cow tongue in the water going to cook it for 24 hours between 24 and 48 hours at that 170 mark as soon as you're done pull the bag out and put it in ice bath immediately for about 15 minutes shock that tongue bring that temperature back down then you're going to open the bag carefully all of the contents because you've got cilantro onion tomato and fat that's been cooking for 24 hours in there is all this liquid's going to be in the bottom of the bag you're going to so you're going to take the bag you're going to have a wire mesh strainer set over a bowl you're just going to empty that bag into that strainer transfer the tongue out of uh, that uh, wire mesh strainer onto a cutting board and discard any remaining solids from the strainer. Um, you can then peel off that outer membrane of the tongue that I told you about. Uh, you peel that off very carefully and discard it. And then you're going to chop the meat into about half inch square pieces. You've got a bowl of that juice. You're going to combine the chipotles, the adobo sauce, and half of that liquid that was in that bowl 
in a blender and blend it until it's smooth. Add a little lime juice and salt, season to taste, and set it aside. Put the remaining other half of the liquid and the half-inch pieces of tongue uh, in a heavy uh, 10 or 12-inch skillet. Bring it to a simmer over uh, high heat, reduce it to medium and cook, stirring frequently until the liquid has reduced and the tongue has started to crisp. It's going to take about eight minutes um, for that to get crispy. And so it'll start to crisp up, season that with salt and pepper. And to serve, you're going to put a scoop of the tongue meat uh, on a double layer of the corn tortillas, top with the chipotle sauce, diced onions, scallions, cilantro, squirt of lime, and you have tacos la linguas. So good. So good, you will never want a different taco. And if you've not had la lingua done properly, it tastes exactly like just the most juicy, delicious roast beef you've ever had. It's amazing. Have you ever had tongue, Stormy? I know I did when I was a kid. Yeah. The old man used to like a tongue sandwich. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> he would just slice it thin with uh, mustard and onion, so I'm sure I had to eat one at one time, but... Oh, man. It's, it's tongue is big in uh, South American cuisine and Mexican cuisine. They do la lingua a lot. Uh, so you don't see it so much in the Midwest, where I spent a lot of time. Um, but now that I'm out here on the West Coast in the Southwest, uh, we get to see it more often. And the way they do it, they slow braise it, you know, they cook it long. You just get tender, tender meat. And then with a nice brown sauce. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh so good. Order up! All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the dessert. Uh, this is the final course, and this is where we highlight a chef uh, that specializes in our theme. And we like to get all creamy and gooey and, and everything all over them. Uh, and the chef we're going to talk about today is uh, Chef Chris Cosentino. Uh, Chris Cosentino is an American celebrity chef, reality television personality. Uh, he won uh, Top Chef Masters on uh, Food Network. He also was a competitor on The Next Iron Chef uh, and has had appearances on Iron Chef Cuisine. Um, and he is known for his uh, Hoyt Cuisine, um, his high-end offal dishes. Uh, he was a chef partner at Encanto in San Francisco. Uh, and Encanto closed in March uh, 2014 and reopened as Coxcomb. Uh, where he is specializing in offal food. Um, as of September 2019, he was uh, writing uh, a book on offal cookery and his and has maintained the offal theme website offalgood.com. O f f a l g o o d. Uh, and he um, he offers classes. Um, uh, perhaps. Uh, Forbes Traveler called Encanto perhaps America's most adventurous nose-to-tail restaurant uh, and offers on lamb's neck, pig trotters, and a five-course nose-to-tail tasting menu including venison, kidneys, and chocolate blood panna cotta. That just sounds odd, but <laughs> sounds tasty at the same time. But uh, Chris was born and raised in Rhode Island, uh, 94 graduate of Johnson Wales University. Uh, raised in the Italian-American community, he started off hating offal as a child, especially tripe, which was often prepared by his Italian grandmother. Um, and, but since becoming a chef himself, however, he has embraced a whole animal ethic. Um, what I try to do is make people understand the whole animal ethic. When people realize that this is a whole animal, that there is more than just the skeletal meats, sometimes that makes people step back and they might not order any meat. They might have a vegetable entree. Putting a face on what you are eating sometimes open your, uh, opens your eyes a lot. And so that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to put a face on the food. Get people more in touch with their food supply, where it comes from. Exactly. Unlike that uh, oh-so-scary uh, 
clown meat that was featured on Babylon <laughs> last week. Did you see that thing? It was like, it looked, it was, it was literally head cheese. It was head cheese. Uh, I saw it. <laughs> I, I give props to whoever figured out how to, to do that. I just don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> why? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know either. But uh, kudos to them for doing that. That was not a very happy meal. I don't care what they say. No, no. Well, it looks like the check has arrived, and as always on our show, the guest pays the bill. Uh, so Got it. You uh, you take care of that, and I'll take care of the tip. And this week's tip, uh, we've been looking at Ophel and giving you uh, Chris Cosentino as a reference chef to check out. So the tip this week is going to be a book. Uh, and the book is by uh, Fergus Henderson. Now, anybody named Fergus, you, you are... By, by definition, you have to write a book called "The Whole Beast Knows to Tail Eating." <laughs> Fergus wrote this book, "The Whole Beast Knows to Tail Eating," in 2004, and it deals with how to cook every part of the pig, from nose to tail, uh, including parts rarely used. Um, and uh, it was released in '99 originally as "Nose to Tail Eating: A Kind of British Cooking." Uh, but was updated and revamped uh, and added a forward whip by Anthony Bourdain uh, to make it the whole beast nose to tail for the 2004 um, book release. And it was given the Andre Simon Award for Gastronomic Literature in 2000. Uh, the book features a number of recipes that in total utilize every part of the pig. In addition, it features a number of techniques for brining, salting, pickling, and preserving in fat, including explanations on how to clear stock with egg whites and shells, how to bone out a trotter, and how to bake bread using a tiny quantity of yeast for tastier results. It also includes descriptions on methods of making stocks and the old-fashioned skill of rendering. The book also includes a few black and white photos to serve as decoration and example for dishes and pieces of meat involved and discussed. A famous quote from the book and personal slogan of Fergus uh, that is often cited by newspapers and used by master chefs reads, If you're going to kill the animal, it seems only polite to use the whole thing. Right on. <laughs> so you might want to check that out. There might You, you might find if you're, um, you know, if you're doing deer... There may you may be able to take uh, some of the recipes that he's got for uh, utilizing different parts of the bones uh, or the trotters or, or different parts of the pig, uh, but transfer them to deer, and you may be able to use more of the animal that way. That's an excellent idea, sir. Yeah, some good stuff. So that is the From Ear to Table podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Storm Raven, uh, from middle of nowhere pa for joining us <laughs> for uh spending time on the electrical generator bicycle wheelie thing and pumping out enough kilowatts to spend about an hour talking i i appreciate it uh thanks for having me on it's it's not that bad it's not as bad as you make it sound but well. thanks for uh, without you i wouldn't have communicated with civilization whatsoever i'm gonna go do my homework on the back of a shovel as soon as i get up <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, until next time, be creative. Go cook something. <laughs>